0: This is the Daily Signal podcast for Wednesday, July 20th. I'm Doug Blair.
1: And I'm Samantha Rank.
0: You might have just heard a new voice on the show. That is Samantha Rank. Samantha is joining us now for the first time. But she will be joining me in Virginia in doing some of these podcasts. So, Samantha, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you so much, Doug. I am happy to be back. I was an intern back in 2019. And it feels so great to come home to Heritage. So thank you so much for having me. And I'm excited for today's show.
0: Absolutely. Wonderful to have you on the team. So, Let's get started. The American Dream looms large in the nation's psyche. Immigrants flock to our shores to make a better life for themselves, free of the chains that bound them in their countries of origin. But recently, many have come to view the American Dream as unattainable. Some people view the system as broken and demand massive changes to fix it. To Adam Brandon, president of FreedomWorks and author of the new book, America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation, that's a huge problem for the continued survival of the country. Brandon joins the show today to discuss the American dream and how we can bring it back from the brink.
1: Before we get to Doug's conversation with Adam Brandon, let's hit today's top news.
0: Weeks after the Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade in a landmark decision, protests continue outside of the court in Washington, D.C., On Tuesday, a group of pro-abortion protesters were joined by at least 10 Democrat members of Congress, including Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. The protesters blocked the road just outside the court until they were escorted away by police. Representative Ocasio-Cortez held her hands behind her back, seemingly acting like she was being arrested. She then raised her fist in the air before quickly lowering it and placing her hands behind her back again. While Ocasio-Cortez was the highest-profile detainee, other members of the so-called squad, including Representatives Ilhan Omar of Minnesota, Rashida Tlaib of Michigan, and Ayanna Presley of Ohio, were also present and taken away by police.
1: The Biden administration has voiced its support of a bipartisan bill that would codify the Supreme Court's decision to legalize gay and interracial marriage. The Respect for Marriage Act, which was introduced Monday, would, quote, "...enshrine marriage equality for the purposes of federal law and provide additional legal protections for marriage equality, as well as repeal the Defense of Marriage Act in addition to providing legal protections, according to a House Judiciary press release." The Office of Management and Budget said in a statement about the policy, quote, No person should face discrimination because of who they are or whom they love, and every married couple in the United States deserves the security of knowing that their marriage will be defended and respected.
0: On Tuesday, a New York judge dropped a murder charge against a New York City bodega worker who had been arrested for the death of a man who jumped behind the counter and tried to assault him. Earlier in July, Jose Alba was arrested on charges of murder, but surveillance footage of the incident seemed to indicate Alba's actions were self-defense. So on Tuesday morning, Jennifer Segal, Assistant District Attorney under Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg, issued a motion dismissing the murder charge against Alba. In a document announcing the decision, Bragg's office wrote, Following an investigation, the people have determined that we cannot prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the defendant was not justified in his use of deadly physical force. As such, the people will not be presenting the case to a grand jury, and for the reasons provided in the attached memorandum, hereby move to dismiss the complaint.
1: Michigan football coach Jim Harbaugh shared his stance on abortion and the unborn while speaking at the Plymouth Right to Life event in Michigan. Harbaugh said, quote, "...in God's plan, each unborn human truly has a future filled with potential, talent, dreams, and love. I have living proof in my family, my children, and the many thousands that I've coached that the unborn are amazing gifts from God to make this world a better place. To me, the right choice is to have the courage to let the unborn be born." His comments come just weeks after the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, and now the states have the power to decide on the issue.
0: That's all for headlines. Now stay tuned for my conversation with Adam Brandon as we discuss how to revive the American dream.
2: The Heritage Foundation takes the field on offense with their Young Leaders Program.
1: I'm Evelyn Homily from Hillsdale College.
2: I'm Harrison Stewart from the University of Virginia.
1: I'm a journalism intern with The Daily Signal.
2: I'm a digital productions intern in communications. For spring, summer, and fall semesters, The Heritage Foundation hosts undergraduate and postgraduate interns right here in the nation's capital to train our country's future conservative leaders.
1: As a Daily Signal intern, I've had the opportunity to cover exciting events here in D.C. and work in a fast-paced environment with some of the conservative movement's best journalists.
2: In YLP, interns are on the cutting edge of the conservative movement, attending exclusive briefings from heritage experts, members of Congress, and movement leaders fighting for the fate of our country. It's been exciting connecting with big names in the political world, and better understanding our nation's greatest threats. If you want to go on offense with other passionate, dedicated conservatives, go to heritage.org intern to learn more about the Young Leaders Program. My guest today is Adam Brandon,
0: president of FreedomWorks and author of the new book, America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation. Available now wherever books are sold. Adam, welcome to the show. Hey,
3: thanks very much for having me. It's fun to be back here at, at Heritage. I actually got my career started here in 1996. I was an intern in the press shop under a guy named Herb Berkowitz.
0: That's so cool. We always love having people who, who come from Heritage come back, you know, mm-hmm. come back home. But uh, clearly you've you've gone on to great things and you're writing this book about the American dream. So right. let's start out with sort of a, a base level where, where we're at. So what mm-hmm. is the state of the American dream right now? Is it in decline? Is it good? Where where were we at?
3: I saw a Gallup poll the other day that said that patriotism is the lowest it has ever been in in Gallup survey history. And when I talked to friends and family and we were talking a little bit before the interview, I come from Cleveland. Well, my family is that swing vote family back in in Northeast Ohio. They go back and forth and they debate issues. And and I kind of use them as my one man polling operation where I just call and ask them what they think about issues. Mm. And and they still love America, but it's they're very concerned about the future. And they're cons- they're, there's things that they they can't put their finger on it necessarily sometimes, but just doesn't feel right. And there's mm-hmm. just so much anger, and uh, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to start writing this book. Is just like we called it the the initial title on a notebook was American Perspective, and we'll come up with a better title later. And it just kind of that's what the book was about. I wanted mm-hmm. to go back in history a little bit and take a look at. At all of these things that we've gone through, we've gone through incredibly challenging times. And this is part of our national history. And people forget that you go through these times. And, and what I look at it is as long as you're committed to a meritocracy and then as long as you allow the system to kind of self-correct and heal, it does. And mm-hmm. what's scary to me right now, uh, you know, I, I, there's all this debate on do we get rid of the filibuster? Do we do this? Do we do that? And these are radical changes and if you in, – in my study of history and we wanted to get into this in this book is that you could actually make some changes that will to knock out the stability in our system and who
0: knows what we are then. Mm-hmm. The American dream, at least to me, has always sort of been an economic thing where you come to America right. and you, you are able to pull yourself up by your bootstrap, so to say, and become successful. Right. Are we seeing that a lot of these things that are – risking the american dream being possible are coming from big government or where are these coming so, from So so i'm
3: going to you know slightly parse out what you just said there cuz i think when you take a step back when i was raised I come from a typical immigrant family. I have Czech ancestors. Mm. It's very interesting to me. We came to Cleveland because Czechs drink beer and make beer barrels. (laughs) And when John D. Rockefeller opened up his oil refineries, you needed to put the oil in something. So that's why my ancestors came to Cleveland, just to make beer barrels for oil. Mm. And uh, it was the stories we have are not nice. It's flop houses and violence and pollution and this and that. Um, but you had people like my dad who worked he, my dad went to dental school during the day and at night he polished airplane landing gear. Hmm. and so it's this incredible story of 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 American renewal and and I really wanted to start start because to me the American Dream isn't just about the finances because hmm. if it's just about the finances, well do you really need a democracy then? I mean because China things are getting better and money's getting better it's more about this kind of this freedom to dream is mm-hmm. what I like when I think about the American dream. It's that if you really want to do something whatever it is you wanted to do you can do and I, I once lived in Eastern Europe and I thought I was shocked when I when I was talking to my girlfriend about like I, this concept that we take for granted when you're a child and your parents ask you what do you want to do when you grow up? well where she lived her family tended to run the bus trams and things mm-hmm. like that in that town and that's kind of what they did and so to me that is the american dream is this it's a sense of hope it's a sense of opportunity oh well, yeah and the in the incredible
0: economics that is a derivative of having that freedom mm-hmm. so to to expand on that then where is that coming under fire. You mentioned that it's patriotism is at all time low and that all these problems are popping up. Where are we seeing that happen? Is it big government? Is it corporations? Where is this coming
3: Uh, from? I think it's, to me, I always ask, well, what?" yes, to everything you just said, but let's go back a little further. Mm. Uh, I think for my entire career, I'm 44 now. So I've been (laughs) in this industry for a little while. And everyone was always focused on liberalism on college campuses, Mm. which is important. But we didn't realize what was actually happening in, you know, preschool, second grade, eighth grade, and some of the the indoctrination that was happening, you know, kids when they were younger, right? And we never really suspected that. And now what you're seeing is this is is the result of, of an education that's focusing on all of our ills. Uh, like, I, I think we should – you need to teach slavery. You need mm-hmm. to teach the ills of that. You need to teach what happened to, to Indians and, and, and all that would happen. You, like, I'm not trying to hide from any of that. But you also need to teach the opportunity and the overcoming. In America, whether you're black, you're white, you're Native American, you're whatever you are, it's been this incredible story of overcoming. And that's what I was hoping if you teach that, then all of a sudden you could put everything into perspective. Yes, we've had these parts that are that are that are not great in our history to say the least, but but we're improving on it. If mm-hmm. you weren't improving upon these things, it'd be one thing. But I think unfortunately people are being told one side of the story. Mm-hmm. And that's why we wanted to write this book, and we didn't want to write this book to be very clear. I'm. I run a group, Freedom Works. We're pretty. We're, you know, we're pretty conservative, but this book is not written for our base necessarily. Mm-hmm. This book is written for our base's friends and our base's children, mm-hmm. um, to hand something off to be like. This is not trying to be a right wing. Go vote Republican. No, this is. Let's let's just talk honestly about our country and and the good and the bad. And we try to highlight uh, like a, a woman who is in the in, in, in the in the gilded age. He was dominating on wall street a guy named robert smalls uh, a, a slave who ran away and freed yeah. his family and became a millionaire and just this incredible story there's all these incredible stories that we just that, that are of overcoming and i want to make sure that we're talking about those folks because if america's future is about overcoming and we and people who come here it's about overcoming
0: these obstacles and chasing your dreams and build we're going to be all right mm-hmm. It sounds like your book is more trying to highlight a lot of these people who, you know, represent the best parts of America, as opposed to sort of saying, "Hey, the American dream is real; just trust us on it." Right,
3: and I think it's important to look back. And 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 I, I thought this was years ago. I would, I, I, the first couple of times I would go and speak to a mostly black audience. If I would start the speech by saying, hey, slavery didn't matter, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the room would, would get upset at me. If I said, look, slavery was real, but I'm here to talk to you about my values mm-hmm. and how what I believe can help break cycles of generational poverty, all of a sudden the room was engaged and everyone's talking. And, it, and it's like that's where we need to be rather mm-hmm. than focusing on things that divided us in the past. It's like, hey, how can we help each other today? And in the book we mentioned It's stunning when you look at the statistics of Nigerian immigrants to this country, and Nigerian immigrants are obviously black. They do exceptionally well, Mm. but what what is being prioritized? Well, family, education, uh, just the values that are happening in those communities. They're able to. Do they experience racism? I guarantee you, they do at some level, but they overcome and they succeed. And that's what's so beautiful about this country is you see these groups that are succeeding. And I just want to get this, try and get to new audiences that this message, anyone can succeed here.
0: I want to kind of point out what you just said, which was that these Nigerian immigrants are very successful. They're
3: like the most successful subgroup in the country, right? very successful, like the most successful. Right.
0: And there is this sort of idea that immigrants are coming to a country and that the country is terrible, at least if what you believe from the left. But is there any indication that the 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 immigrant community in America feels as if the American Dream is now somehow unattainable. Well, I
3: what's fascinating if that was the truth, then, then why are people still risking life to come here? I, I and and this has been a beautiful part of our history. and and I don't think it's, again, they're not coming here for our national parks and mm-hmm. all that. They're coming here because there's an opportunity to improve their state and their life. and And I have incredible stories from my ancestor. I, I have had a fourteen year old ancestor who was packed? his mother packed him up in Germany and sent him here to the United States, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. And he ended up becoming a very successful person, but he never saw his mom again. And I think about, I have a young child at home, and the love of your child to actually say, I'm going to send you away to a foreign country that you actually have a shot. Well, I think that still plays out today, and we see that. And if this country was so, I think often we, we need to talk more to our, our recent immigrants who are coming here, because when you do talk to them— my, they see they come here for a reason, and some of the conversations I've had is a lot of head shaking. Like, what, what, what is going on? <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. Why are you guys so, so upset with yourselves? This is still the place you go, right? Where do we think that that sort of comes from? It, it seems like it kind of bubbled out of maybe the last couple of years, where this internal hatred of everything the country stands for. Where did that come from?
3: So, I taught high school for one year, and when I taught high school. I taught uh, – I picked up the textbook and it was terrible. Mm -hmm. It was just so boring. It's like American history is this beautiful complex mosaic and you made it as boring as you can. So I brought in my own readings. Now, I I, – from a lot of different authors that I like. And then I brought in this book Howard Zinn a people's history of America and which was basically I mean how else do I say it? it's a socialist if yeah. not communist view of the United States and so we would we would read the the chapter from the book that was assigned then my readings and then they would have Howard Zinn's readings because I never wanted anyone to say that I was trying to indoctrinate right, right. so but what I think happened is that the readings have been moved so the only thing that people are reading is now Howard Zinn mm-hmm. and and I think that I I, when I just look back, somewhere along, so I remember I, I said I interned here in the '90s. Mm-hmm. You had this post Cold War era of almost era of good feelings, where it, we felt safe. We didn't have to worry about nuclear war anymore. The economy was was pretty strong and growing, and there was this optimistic view that that we're going to solve our problems. And I think what happened is is that there's an adjustment to the to the end of this post Cold War era. Mm-hmm. And I think the rise of China has rattled us. And I think the rise, you know, 9-11 rattled us. There's a lot of things that rattled us in our – kind of out of that post-Cold War era. And I think part of the problem that happened is, is it's some of those insecurities that happened after the 07 crash. And mm-hmm. you have a whole generation of millennials who were raised in nothing but – um, not that era of the 90s of, of of incredible optimism, but they were raised in fear of terrorist attack, then mm-hmm. the fear of the economics uh, of post-2007. And that instability in history always shows us that that's, that gives rise to a lot of uh, crazy ideas. And mm-hmm. I think that maybe creeped – broke open something. But the good news is – even in lefty places like San Francisco, recalling that uh, the, the district attorney who was just letting everyone out on the streets for in for, for, the rampant drug use. And you just name it. I think you're beginning to see this reevaluation again. Why well, I wanted to write a book right now to kind of put all this in perspective. And and and, and when I was growing up in Ohio, I, I, one thing the I grew up with was so beautiful is my uncles were all blue collar, steelworking mm. Democrats. Mm. And my father kind of raised me more as a Republican. And, and there's the but we all got along. Yeah. We all played horseshoes and these guys were the most patriotic men you've ever met in your life. And and I'd love, I, w- I can't wait to get back to a point where I'm arguing with Democrats and everyone um, but we all agree that's a great place and we're trying to make it better. Right. And and that's what I kind of think we're missing
0: right now. Mm-hmm. One of the things that to maybe play devil's advocate slightly is that all of those stories are from the past. Right. And people in my generation, millennials, are very concerned with their lot in life. I hear constantly people say things like, oh, well, my dad worked for, you know, part time at the steel mill and was right. able to buy a house and raise a family on that salary. Whereas people who are my generation are unable to even buy. Well, property. again, I go
3: back to you. Look at the at the at the shifts that have happened. And and my wife is a little younger than me, and she doesn't remember the the, the Berlin Wall coming down. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I was grounded, and I re, my dad put a TV in my room so I could watch it. Mm-hmm. And um, but she has no reference point to that. And I think that I, what I really feel bad about is the amount of college debt that so many people mm-hmm. have. And I think there is this understanding that. You know, you work hard, you play by the rules, and a lot of people have worked hard, play by the rules, and they're still living in their parents' basement. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's why, but I wanted to look at the past to kind of show to kind of try and take the temperature down, like we've been through these hard times, but also lay out that our strengths for the future. And, and, and even some of the things in this book I wanted to talk about, I think that we have an over-focus on college. I wish – it is amazing to me what we – the opportunities we have for people to go out, get a trade. But but I'm also thinking of do you really need to go to college right after you graduate high school? Mm. Can you take some time to go learn something and then go back? And But I also wanted to show in this book for younger folks is that, hey, we've been through really hard things and we will get we, – we come out of it. Mm. Um, If we kind of agree on a common sense of values and principles, and if you don't do that, well, then I I pointed out what happened in Argentina. Argentina, not that long ago, was one of the richest countries in the world. Bad policy screwed it up, and now there has been.
0: Mm -hmm. It does seem like there is this question of values and how that impacts the sort of greater success of a nation. What are some things that we can be doing right now to turn that tide back to valuing things that make the American dream possible? I think it's –
3: I love the internet. Trust me, I'm not not a luddite who's saying we need to go bash and break up our phones or anything like that. But it is it is amazing to me that how much of our discourse is now based on 240 characters, and you can hide behind it and uh, uh, behind the internet and. Uh, I remember when I was in college in the 90s, there was a great book called Bowling Alone. And what Robert Putnam said is that it's bad for democracy when people start to spend more time by themselves and not interacting with other people in their community. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that that's something I'm, I'm, you know, younger generations are incredibly social. Well, I'm hoping that the internet can become something that doesn't mean that you stay in your basement tweeting at people, but it actually gives you an opportunity to connect with other communities and work with and get to know folks. But what I'm really hoping, and my advice to anyone, is take the politics down. I love NFL football. It drives me nuts. When I mean that's the one of those places when I go to a Cleveland Brownsbacker bar, black, white, fat, thin, doesn't matter what you are, we're all hugging on each other. And it's this incredible non political community. And we really, I, I kind of think that maybe younger generations think that every community has to be political. No, mm-hmm. no, no, not everything in America has to be political. We can be political during when politics is time. But outside of that, we're Americans on a great adventure and let's go enjoy it. It's a Great for all of our problems. It's a great country. I had a great weekend. You know, <laughs> like I think of the, my neighbors and the barbecue and going to the pool and and just having some great community. Like that's ninety nine percent of my life. And, mm-hmm. and getting ticked off on politics is actually not the
0: majority of my life. I want to wrap up on that because I do think that that's a really important point. We are starting to see Americans get a little more fatigued by everything being political. Sports is a perfect yeah. arena where it's not enough now that it needs to be you know again. It has to have a political message to it, whether that's a Colin Kaepernick right. or whether it's the black national anthem being played before right. a game. Do you think we are moving in the direction as a country where people are starting to say not everything has to be? political? What
3: I think happens, you get to these inflection points. It's mm-hmm. kind of like you, you swing this way, then you swing that way. But when you get to that top of that inflection point, one of two things happen. It, the pendulum either swings back or it keeps on going. And so we're at one of those moments where I think we are deciding. And, and, and look, uh, you know, I don't want to quote Rahm Emanuel here, but don't let a crisis go to waste. But you look at the gas prices and inflation. This is the result of policy. So younger generations that are struggling to buy that first house, now policy is making that Harder, mm-hmm. and so I think we have an opportunity to have a conversation. But uh, look, my brand of politics isn't name calling and isn't is, is, isn't aggressive as some others. And I so I'm hoping that my voice can be one of those that's more like, hey, I'm I'd rather kind of like let's talk, take the temperature down, and talk some of these things through. But I'm looking at the, our nation's past. I am 100% certain that there's – you have this swing group in the middle of politics in the suburbs. They don't want to tear everything down. Mm. They may be different from previous generations and change is going to happen. There's no doubt about it and people will look different and maybe act different and their jobs are – my parents still don't know what I do for a living and I try and explain it to them. Um, They either think of lobbyists or politicians. They don't understand the nonprofit world. But hey, you know – But I think that there's enough people there in the center who are going to look at it and be like, they are invested in the American dream. They're invested for their children and their families. And I think that group is going to swing. They may never identify as conservative, but I think they were going to be more receptive to what
0: our message is. And that is going to be when you start seeing this pivot back. That was Adam Brandon, president of FreedomWorks and author of the new book, America in Perspective, Defending the American Dream for the Next Generation, available now wherever books are sold. Adam, thank you so much for your time. We didn't even get into football.
3: I mean, (laughs) I thought we were going to talk football here, and he had me talk about
0: my book. I guess it was a fun interview, you know? (laughs) We try. We try. And that'll do it for today's episode. Thanks so much for listening to The Daily Signal Podcast.
1: If you have not done so already, be sure to subscribe to the Daily Signal podcast on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and iHeartRadio. And please leave us a review and a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and encourage others to subscribe.
0: Thanks again for
2: listening, and we're back with you all tomorrow. The Daily Signal podcast is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. The executive producers are Rob Bluey and Kate Trinko. Producers are Virginia Allen and Doug Blair. Sound designed by Lauren Evans, Mark Geiny, and John Pop. For more information, please visit dailysignal.com.